okay. I saw this. I was just scrolling TikTok. And of course, Danielle Kirk is one of my favorite people to follow. And I had never heard about this. And basically, you take one potato and you cut it up and you boil it and mash it up. And you only use like a fourth of the potato and you start mixing it with powdered sugar and you just keep mixing it with powdered sugar and like the starch and the sugar coalesce into like a taffy like thing. And then you roll it out onto a onto like a a sheet and then you put peanut butter on it and you roll it up into these little rolls and you cut it and it's it's called potato candy. And. I have, I mean, I, I didn't know. She was saying that it's like an Appalachian recipe. It was her first time making it too. But it looked fascinating. And it it looked kind of delicious too. Oh, I just had to Google a picture. I've definitely seen this stuff before. Yeah. And so she just made it. And I thought that it was like incredibly interesting and I was wondering how, if you had ever heard of it or, or eaten it or had it because I have not uh no I have not uh I I'm always curious when things like this come up who thinks of this you know potato right so candy. Danielle actually had a theory in her video that I think is probably pretty accurate is that some granny during the depression thought of this recipe of how to make something sweet without flour or without you know milk Mm. and to like put together some sort of this potato candy so that she had the starch and the sugar and the peanut butter things that you could potentially get your hands on but that you, you know, it was like a depression era thing. I think that's a pretty good theory. I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's. I feel like that's how a lot of things came up because people had limited supply. And so it was sort of like the cook's choice of, of the depression. You just throw whatever you have together and hopefully it tastes good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm into uh, it. I like it too. I so I I thought it was really interesting. Um, she was making this candy with her. I think she uh, her seven year old, and it was very cute. Um, so highly recommend going and watching the video and trying it yourself. I I am definitely going to try it, and I will report back. I actually think that I might add like some chopped almonds to it because I think that might be good or maybe even some like caramel to make it like Snickersy or some Nutella peanut butter and Nutella with it so I'm thinking of ways to spice it up um, and I will report back all right Apod Latcha cooking show coming soon (laughs) fall 2023 just wait I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast only half joking about that I think that it could be hilarious I'm terrible at cooking I try to get better and it Maybe I'm improving. I don't know. But I mean, I could always just completely fail at everything. That would be my contribution. I I love to cook, um, but I have not been doing any cooking lately because I can't stand up for long periods of time um, or any period of time, really. Because of, of the human inside of you. Yeah. And because my heart condition is getting worse with the human inside of me. So um, I am almost five months pregnant now, which is crazy. I have a real bump, like an unhideable bump, which is crazy. Um, But yeah, I feel like trash all the time still. Um, Speaking of babies, though, there's a new baby in your clan. 
You have a new niece, Chuck. I do. I am so excited. Haven't met her yet. Looking forward to it. She's got a busy schedule, though, so I'm going to try to get a get a slot in on the Google Calendar soon. I'm Anita Nadine Combs, my sister's child, first child. Very, very excited for her. Very happy for her. Uh, this Best cheeks I think I've ever seen on a newborn. Great che- great pair of cheeks on that kid. Yeah. Didn't inherit the Cora family nose yet, which is good. <laughs> My dad called to tell me that my sister was going to the hospital, was in labor, and my dad has a way with words, because he calls and he's like, are you on your way? And this is like 11 a.m. on, I think, Saturday, and I said, (laughs) what? And he's like, are you on your way here? And I said, no, we're at home. And he's like, oh, well, Sarah's at the hospital, baby's coming. And I was like, okay. (laughs) That's how you learn? Yeah. <laughs> That's so classic. That's that that from everything you've told me about your dad that tracks. Classic dad, yeah. Really very much yeah. so. But very exciting stuff. Uh the baby seems fine. No major issues. My Sister is apparently recovering well. She had to have a C-section, recovering well, and that's all I'll share cuz I don't want to share anything else about their child. Um other than wishing the best and very she's excited. Adorable. Yeah, she's cute. Yeah. She's getting an Apod Latch onesie though. I've yes. already ordered it. Had to happen. Mm-hmm. It's coming their way soon. So on today's show, we got a good show, a great show, in fact. We are revisiting the subject of Mountain Dew Mouth and dental health in Appalachia in general. We've got a great interview with two folks from Volunteers of America coming up. We've also got Under the Radar in Appalachia, and we say shit's bad. It is bad. It's about the West Virginia legislature. And uh, we'll just leave it at that until we get there. And I think that you all can probably fill in the blanks a little bit. I added Kentucky and North Carolina, too. Oh, JK. All um, right. Legislature madness. A season, a silly season. Yes. It, it's only January, but we're at legislature madness. Not anywhere near as fun as March Madness. But we're going to be talking about it anyway, because you need to know West Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina. But first, our list. And it's sort of a list. Not in the traditional sense, but to go along with the subject of dental health, we're going to be talking about health in general, healthcare deserts in Appalachia, not to be confused with desserts, which are delicious. <laughs> Callie, you came up with this topic. Why don't you lead us off? Yeah, so I think that this topic is really important to talk about because it impacts so, so many of our people. Um just kind of running through a couple of um, recent findings from the Appalachian Regional Commission in 2021. Um, there are uh, the, the supply of primary care physicians per 100,000 popula- people in the population in Appalachia is 12% lower than the national average. So we're talking today um, about about the lack of health care in Appalachia. And, and that leads right into our discussion about dental care and, and this so-called Mountain Dew mouth and the, the kind of stereotypes around that. Yes. So I think probably most people listening to this either know from personal experience or have at least read about the fact that healthcare kind of hard to come by in general in America because it's expensive and we commoditize it. Uh, But also in Appalachia, where it's just hard to get access to a lot of things, including healthcare, 
just to kind of give a little background, the National Institute of Health has defined a healthcare desert as being somewhere that it takes more than a 60 minute drive to get to a hospital with a trauma care center. There's other definitions of it, but that's a pretty standard one, I think. Some other sources have defined it as being further than 15 minutes from places like pharmacies, hospitals, trauma care, and primary care providers. So uh, it just kind of gives you a sense of, of what that looks like. I think, though, for a lot of the data that we're working with, the NIH definition of 60-minute drive is probably the one we're going with. Yeah. But yeah, it's a problem. It's, it's a huge problem, and especially when you think of the more rural parts of Appalachia, Southern West Virginia, Eastern Kentucky, Western North Carolina, it's hard to come by. And, you know, that's provided that your insurance even covers these doctors, dentists, whatever, provided that you have insurance. Right. Right. I I think that um, there are so many factors that in in looking at this subject that that weigh into why our region has such health disparities. And this this is not just is a doctor near you. This is are you able to take off work to go visit a doctor and not lose your job? Do you have transportation to a doctor or to to regular care? Is there a culture of sustained regular checkups and care? Um, or are people just going to emergency rooms when there is um, something very serious happening? And that is one of the main focuses in the central Appalachian region is that urgent care centers and ERs are completely overrun because of the the lack of um, sustaining care for people that are just at, you know, regular checkups and appointments. Um, In addition, there's also um, a a lack of pediatric care in the region, which is huge um, because, you know, you may have a family doctor, but you may not be able to have access to a a pediatrician for your baby or your child. and so there, there are a lot of factors that go into why it is so difficult to get health care in the mountains. Yeah, it's it's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, if you just look at, like, the roads in a place like West Virginia, it's understandable how, like, why literally it's hard to get anywhere. Um, and that's the same for, for many parts, especially in central Appalachia. It's a huge problem. And... Uh, I mean, let's just get into the data. Do you want to you want to start rolling through? Yeah, absolutely. So central Appalachia um, and southern Appalachia both report a lower supply of primary care physicians than the national average. And in central Appalachia, that is 33 percent lower than the national average. And southern Appalachia, it is 21 percent lower. Um that is a striking number, particularly the central Appalachian number. It's a third. There are like that's a whole third less than the national average. And that's a, that's scary um, when you think about the nature of work in the region. There's a lot more manual labor um, and a lot more injuries. Um, and, and there are a lot of um, there are a lot of needs in the region. And so having 33 percent fewer primary care physicians is it makes it difficult to get an appointment anywhere. It makes it difficult to have that that regular care. Um, 
Our next fact is that the supply of primary care physicians in the Appalachian region's rural counties is 20% lower than the supply in the region's large metro counties. So that would be, say, uh, Mercer County. It would be in that as opposed to Kanawha County in West Virginia or Haywood County would be in that group of rural counties rather than Buncombe County in uh, North Carolina. So we're talking about counties that are severely underserved already. And then all on top of that underservice, they are 20% lower than the rest of the region. So we're talking about some counties having 50% of the national average of primary care physicians. This, okay. And so this is such a big, broad problem because it leads to other problems. When you think about quality of life, when you think about just life expectancy in general, places like West Virginia have some of the lowest in the country. Uh, pretty much, I think Appalachia as a whole, right near the bottom. And so this, I'm sure, has some correlative effect. And, um, it, you know, it is, it's just, I feel like lots of people talk about it, but I don't see at least from the state level, a lot that's being done by state governments to really fix this. Um, but if you talk to Jim Justice, the governor of West Virginia, you know, you would say, oh, we're killing it, man. We're like, we're we're beating the pulp out of Mississippi, which that was it. it just the other night, yeah. he was giving a state of the state address, and he said, we're no longer competing with Mississippi for dead last in national rankings. That's my best, Jim Justice. I, I, I've well, been working on it, but it's well, not much better. No, it's great. Well, Jim, I hate to tell you, we're not competing with Mississippi because they have beat us in a lot of areas. Um, So one of the other things that's really shocking is the lack of maternity care in in Appalachia. And take West Virginia, for instance, um, 47.3% of the counties are maternity care deserts. So we're talking about women having to go into labor and drive more than 60 minutes to a maternal health care center. And let me tell you, as an expected mother right now, right. And it's not just when you're in labor. It's, it is every single visit. You have to go once a month at least. And if you're high risk like me, you have to go to the, both the regular OB and the high risk doctor. And you have to have extra things like, you know, going to a cardiologist if you have a heart problem. You know, th- these things really start to add up. And if you are in 50, basically 50% of the counties in West Virginia, you are driving over an hour to your appointments, which is basically taking up a half a day of your working day if you are working. And it, 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 it impacts the rest of your life you have to if you have other children you have to find uh child care for those kids or you have to take them with you and you know some doctors offices don't allow kids to come back with you um it's just it, it's an incredibly complicated problem and and to me that is one of the most egregious and and while west virginia has great rates of maternal mortality we have one of um i think we're number 4 in the country we have incredibly good rates of of, of women surviving after birth, um, as opposed to states like Texas, which are dead last. You know, West Virginia, because of the um, 
actually, a lot of people hypothesize that it is because of the opioid epidemic and all of the extra training that doctors went through to deal with that, the, that our maternal health centers are just more well-equipped to deal with high-risk pregnancies and things like that. Um, while we have great rates of, of life for the mother, um, we just it, we do not offer the services in an accessible manner at all. Yeah, well, and I mean, you mentioned like taking time off of work and everything when you're going into labor. And what is it like? uh, Sometimes women feel like they're going into labor and that they don't, right? It's like, what is it called? Like a false start or something? Yeah, Braxton Hicks contractions or, yeah, false starts. Is it really called a false start? Uh, I've heard that from people. (laughs) I was, I mean, I don't know. It could be just jargon. It could just be roughing the passer or <laughs> holding i don't whatever that was my attempt at a sports joke for all of you out there tried my best yeah it, i mean this is i would be terrified if i were if i were pregnant in west virginia uh i think luckily for you you live in charleston so that's not a healthcare desert but for, for no my hospital is literally three minutes away from yeah us. but maybe- we ha- we couldn't li- i mean if you are disabled like you have to choose where you live based on whether you have access to healthcare or not. And that's also something that's really difficult. Yeah, it's a huge problem. So um, these next numbers are not specific to Appalachia because surprise, surprise, um, there's not a lot of great research. So these are from a pharmaceutical company, GoodRx, that did a study on nationwide, did a study on healthcare deserts um, in 2021. So more than 80% of counties across the U.S. lack adequate healthcare infrastructure in some shape or form. So that means that over a third of the U.S. population lives in a county where there is less than adequate access to pharmacies, primary care providers, hospitals, trauma centers, and or low-cost health centers. So these are all, because it's, you know, 80% of counties and a third of the country, it's clear that these are rural counties and it is rural people who are really taking the brunt of healthcare desert problems. Yeah, it's, um, again, Rural America, lots of people say that they support it, but problems still just keep piling up. I mean, this is, it just is staggering. 80% of counties lack healthcare infrastructure in any shape or form. It's wild. And like every time like you see those, like rural is almost always worse. Yeah. And, um, and that's just, I don't know. It's, it's very frustrating coming from a place that is extremely rural, not Parkersburg, but just West Virginia in general, you know, it's a place that gets neglected all the time. So you, you know, there's no question as to why there's a little bit of resentment for like the federal government and stuff when it comes to that. Um, This is an interesting one. And I think this one's really a humongous problem because of like, not everybody needs to go see a doctor, right? Not everybody needs right. to go to the dentist stuff, but I I would love to see a statistic. I don't know how many people need to go to a pharmacy to fill pills, but it's a ton of people. Lots, yeah. 40%, uh, over 40% of counties are pharmacy deserts where most people had to drive more than 15 minutes to reach a nearby pharmacy. If you have stuff like diabetes, high blood pressure, anything, this is anything. creating a huge problem for taking off work, for getting there. If you don't have a car, you know, your SOL, that yeah telemedicine has helped with this to some extent i know that my parents not that they're in a pharmacy desert but 
I know that they get their diabetes medicine shipped directly to them in the mail, which is great. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot more people, more insurances are starting to do that, which is good. But this is a huge problem because, I mean, if you can't get your medicine filled, you, that's like not having a doctor. You know, it's right. effectively the same. Yeah. And, and one thing I would add on top of this that we don't have the numbers on, are there a lot of people, if you have a rare disease or if you are disabled, like I have to get a lot of my medicine from a compounding pharmacist. That means that they don't have it in a regular pill that you have to go to a pharmacy that literally crushes it up and they make the pill for you. Damn. Um, yeah, and that, and those are for specialized medicines um, for people who have diseases and conditions that are not so normal. And that access is, my guess would be, even even more of a lack of access to those types of things because those are specialized places. Places like CVS and Walgreens do not do compounding pharmaceuticals. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as well that our disabled population um, is is also dealing with a, a major lack of access when it comes to compounding pharmacies. That's like wild. I did not even know that that was a thing. Yeah. It's um, it's it's definitely I mean, it, it makes things more difficult, It makes it challenging. Um, but I, I think that it's important to to acknowledge that our next number um, is that nine percent of counties are primary care provider deserts. And this ties back into the numbers that we were talking about specifically into Appalachia. So we're talking about now um, it, nationwide, there's nine percent, but it's it's 12% lower than the national average in the Appalachian region. So um, we're talking about, you know, a lot worse statistics in Appalachia um, as far as primary care providers go. Which is wild. And, and you yeah. know, I think, like, that's probably the least surprising because, uh, you know, what are, what are the incentives for a doctor relocating to somewhere super rural to open a practice? You know, not not a lot, I would imagine. Not a lot. Yeah. The next one, though, this is this is really scary. It's bothersome. Next, too, in fact, uh, over 20% of counties are hospital deserts where most people have to drive more than 30 minutes to reach the closest hospital. And nearly 47% of counties have fewer than two hospital beds per 1,000 people. This is where, when you see headlines about rural hospital closures, this is where they get impacted hard. And in Tennessee, yeah. that was happening all over the place. And surprise, surprise, Governor Billy didn't really seem to give a shit about it at the time. Uh, th this is a problem because, it, you know, think about it. You have a heart attack. You can't afford to wait 30 minutes to get into a car and go somewhere or wait right. 30 minutes for an ambulance. And it doesn't have to be as serious as a heart attack. Well, you know, what if your kid breaks their leg or their ankle or their arm? You want to sit in the car for 30 minutes with a kid screaming their, their brains out because they have a broken yeah. limb? Driving over bumpy roads because we can't get good roads either. Exactly. Yeah. This is, it's just wild. But like a lot of people don't think about this stuff if they live in an area where they have all this stuff really close to them. I certainly don't. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, I think that that's the, the one part of that that really terrifies me is the two hospital beds per thousand people. So that's 47% of counties have fewer than two hospital that's beds wild. per thousand people. It makes me, like think about these times when we've heard of covid having a like a surge and that there there's no room in hospitals that's why 
Because how many times have there, has there been a surge where you have personally known more than two people who've had COVID and maybe one of the people you know personally has needed to go to the hospital? I know many people that have had to go to the hospital because of COVID. And, you know, that's terrifying to me that there's not adequate care when it comes to ventilators and access to longer term uh, or stays at hospitals. Yeah, it's horrible. And and to kind of add on to that, 45% or excuse me, I just skipped ahead. Uh, That's okay. 40% of counties are trauma center deserts where most people have to drive over an hour to reach a trauma center. Those deal with traumatic injuries. I think, uh, let me just look here. So I don't actually know. Uh, so if you suffered from like a car accident, a fall, a gunshot wound, collision, those are the types of places where trauma centers treat you. So if you get, I mean, car accidents are a dime a dozen, you know, like, ones yeah. where where people get injured like you can't throw a dime in the in Charleston West Virginia without hitting an injury attorney billboard or an office yeah. somewhere and that's the same for most of the state let's be real so you know <laughs> accidents are happening a lot and if you have to wait to to get to you know drive an hour to get to a hospital that can treat you that's why a lot of times people have to be life lighted places through a helicopter and my God, I can't imagine what the bill is for that. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. This one, too, this next one, too, really gets to me. Over 45% of counties are low cost healthcare uh, centered deserts where most people have to drive more than 20 minutes to reach a federally funded community health center. So these are places where you can get free vaccinations or you can get STD testing. Um, you know, these are, are places that are for public health and and just help people get by in their lives without having to go to the hospital or to spend a lot of money. And, you know, that's really it's 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 wild that nearly 50 percent of the population is that far away from a federally funded health care center. Especially just given the levels of poverty in Appalachia, when you think about it the people that probably need these things the most that need these federally funded uh, healthcare centers the most are probably the ones that, you know, lack the most access to them. And that's just sort of a cruel reality. It's, it's messed up, man. I don't know. I don't have much else to say. And that's messed up. And like, this is a huge problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the bottom line is that healthcare deserts affect people who face additional barriers to access like low income Limited internet access is a huge thing as well. Um, lack of insurance, lack of transportation, lack of public transportation. Um, these barriers can just widen those disparities uh, in health outcomes and can just make people less healthy over the long term. So this is a really important topic. Um, I'm really glad that we're talking about it today and and that we're also talking about um dental health coming up so that's that is our list for today very depressing yeah list. sorry about that we'll come back with uh fun ones soon i promise but these these issues they got to be talked about so you know we're gonna have to dive on that grenade and do it folks we're taking it we're taking <laughs> one for the team here but speaking of the team, we have a great team on Patreon.com, patreon.com slash Latcha. That is our funding platform that we fund this show with, and it's been extremely helpful for us because 
podcasting ain't cheap. It's actually quite expensive when you get into the nice equipment and stuff because we want to provide the best possible show for you, the listener. We love our Patreon members. You can join for as little as a dollar a month and get access to weekly exclusives, bonus segments, and more. And most importantly, the best perk of all is you get a custom written limerick from Callie Pruitt herself. We've got three. Wait, no, excuse me. We have four. 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 Callie, you wrote you wrote limericks for them all. Yeah, I sure did. I sure did. So first, um, we're going by the last name on this one because it's more fun to rhyme words with. Hello. So give give it up for our new friend French. Word has it the man is a mensch. He's a Kentucky star. His light shines from afar, and for our game, he'll never be on the bench. Hell yeah! And uh, I know a thing or two about sitting on the bench in sports. So. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> our next one is for Kelly. Raise a glass to our new friend, Kelly. She's as cool as our possum mascot, Deli. She's been around the block. Her stories could give you a shock, but she'll always be cool as jelly. Like how you, you fit in Deli there. That's that's the name of our of our possum mascot. For those of you yes, who don't know. if you are if you are listening on any of our platforms and you can see our art, um, our Patreon members actually voted on what to name our possum mascot, and Deli is from the uh, Latin phrase for possum. Um, I am not going to attempt to remember it right now, but it is something. Trust us that it is. Yes, and our Patreon members, that's fun stuff that you get to do if you're on Patreon. Our next limerick is for Belinda. We're here to celebrate Belinda. She lights up our hearts with mere cindas. She's the belle of the ball, the flyest of them all. Her presence is one to remember. That was beautiful. Belinda, that's a tough Thank one you. to rhyme too. That was a really hard one. That was a really hard one. And that's a that's um, B-I-L-I-N-D-A. It's a fun, fun yeah. spelling of it. Yes, hopefully I pronounced it correctly. Um, Our last but not least limerick is for Kayla. Let's all down a pint for Kayla. It's common knowledge she never does fail. She's the brightest of bright, a light in the night. With her, you will always prevail. Damn, you're getting some tough names and you're uh, weathering (laughs) that storm and nailing it, as always. Thank you very much. Yeah, Uh, commendations raising glasses all around for that. Thank you all to Kayla, Belinda, Kelly, and French for joining. And like I said, you can join at patreon.com slash We'd love to have you. Let's get into our interview. And, and we'll do a little bit of background because it's on Mountain Dew Mouth as well as dental yeah. health. We've talked about Mountain Dew Mouth way back. I don't even remember the, the episode number, but it was it was a... It was like one of the first episodes I ever listened to. It was, tw- it was so long ago. 28. Episode 28 came out May 5th, 2020. Boy, that was like in the thick of the pandemic when we didn't know yeah. <laughs> if we were all going to die. So yeah. wild shit. Um, to give you all a reminder, I'm not going to go into a ton of it. If you if you want to know a lot of details about Doomouth, you can go back and listen to that episode. But basically unclear the origins of the term Mountain Dew Mouth, but it hit the mainstream with a when a 2020 and Diane Sawyer did a documentary called Children of the Mountains in 2009. It aired primetime. It was a hit with a big old splash, we'll say that. Yeah, at the time, it was the most watched episode of 2020 that had ever aired. Shit. 
um, at, at that time. And I remember vividly watching this. Um, I, it was a big deal to my parents when it came out. They really wanted to watch. Um, and, and every, I mean, really everyone in my family. I actually went back, Chuck, and I watched some clips from Children of the Mountains. And, um, while some of it is, is quality, there's a lot of, of poverty porn in it and a lot of that kind of, um, these poor hillbilly folks, uh, how, look at how desperate they are. Look at this football player sleeping in his truck and getting coal off the side of the road. Um, it's worth taking a look at because it did have a huge cultural impact. Um, but I, I remember it vividly. Did you watch it at the time that it came out? No, no, I did not. I, I found out about it much later in life. Mm. So I, yeah. I just, I've seen it. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I have seen it. I, I know that it's a very touchy subject for many people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that it's, um, it's more, it's to me, it's a little bit more bad than good. Um, although I think that the, the sentiment behind it, Diane Sawyer is from Kentucky. She wanted to portray it in a good way. Um, but a lot of it is, is just poverty porn in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I remember that vividly coming out. So, um, what else you got on on Mountain Dew Mouth so, for background? Yeah, I mean, it's basically what it refers to. I guess colloquially is teeth rotting because of sugar. Essentially, drinking lots yeah. and lots of Mountain Dew, your teeth rot out. They hurt. They fall out, or you you can pull them out, or they get cavities and they have to be pulled out for you. That's sort of the the terminology uh, and again i'm not an expert but it, it's come to kind of define uh our the region a little bit because you know it's it's certainly a stereotypical trope now uh there are very unhealthy people there are all these hillbillies all they you always see them around carrying a bottle of mountain dew with them and uh and that's kind of like what the whole sentiment is behind it um there's a lot of statistics that go with that that we just that we cited in a previous episode but uh, you know, I mean, there's some inkling of truth, certainly, to it. Uh, there, there is a lot of dental health problems, but as with anything, when it comes to stereotypes, the reality is way more complex and nuanced than just a soundbite. Uh, and what we'll get into in this interview a little bit is dental access problems. And we've talked about that earlier when we talk about healthcare deserts. Dental access is a massive problem. I mean, just to give you like a, a comparison point, a suburb in Washington, D.C. could have one dentist for every 350 residents, while Dickinson County, Virginia, has one dentist for every 15,468 residents. And based on this is a little bit dated, this data, it's um, uh, based on data from the ARC from 2007. So, again, it's, it's dated, but I'm sure that not a ton has astronomically changed since then. There were 36 percent more persons per dentist in Appalachia than the rest of the country, meaning that dentists, uh, meaning that there were less dentists than the rest of the country, essentially. That's kind of a confusing way of wording it. But basically, getting access to dental care can be difficult, um, similarly to healthcare in Appalachia, depending on where you live. And yeah. there's a lot of stigmas that go along with it. And there's a lot of fear and trepidation that goes along with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in this interview, we are speaking to Randy Kraft of Volunteers of America and Dr. Bill Collins, who is leading up the project Healthy Mouth, Healthy You, which is a project of Volunteers of America. Um, this is specifically in Kentucky. And Healthy Mouth, Healthy You is an initiative um that is focused on understanding the importance of, of oral health and making healthy choices. So they're really focusing on kids, um, on going to schools and making sure that kids have the resources that they need and the understanding that oral health care starts at that age. Um, it's a really amazing program. Uh, it's, it is fabulous. Volunteers of America does absolutely incredible work. And so we were really excited to be able to talk to to these folks about it. Um, I will say, I, I think, you know, Chuck, just kind of getting into our opinions on, on the interview and what we thought about it, there were a couple of places where um, we we disagreed with, with Dr. Collins. You know, um, I think that on one of the things, I do think that uh, Mountain Dew Mouth is a stereotype that's detrimental to our region. And, and it's one that outside folks way over overuse. Um, and I think Dr. Collins, you know, saying, you know, he comes right out the gate, says that um, it's it is not a it's not a myth. It's not a stereotype um, because it actually exists. I think, you know, when you're living that reality day in and day out and dealing with it, um, I think that it might, you know, make it a little bit more difficult to see kind of the cultural impacts of what Mountain Dew Mouth and the phrase Mountain Dew Mouth has done for the region. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that both can be true. It can both be like a problem and also a stereotype, much like with most stereotypes. I mean, we've said it before, like stereotypes exist because there is a modicum of truth to them. But, you know, it's also the case that many of these problems are also problems in other parts of the country as well. And I think that some sort of cultural stigmas exist around it. That's just the nature of of it. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. I think everybody else will too. Yeah, absolutely fascinating interview. I want to thank both of them for coming on and for Volunteers of America letting us know about this project. Um, and if you know of, of other projects going on in other states, um, let's help share the share the word um, about dental access and dental health care in our region, because um, it's definitely something that, you know, continues to need to have a, a front seat in in our discourse. Absolutely. So let's get into our interview with Dr. Bill Collins and Randy Kraft. There might be some days that I don't think. All right. Um, well, welcome to Apod Lacha. We are so excited to be talking about this subject again and, and to be tackling one of the biggest, I think, stereotypes and myths about Appalachia. Um, so let's just dive right in. If you uh, let's it, with some introductions. Um, Randy, would you like to go first? Yeah, I'm Randy Kraft. Uh, I'm with Advent Health and Volunteers of America here in Manchester. I'm the Community Business Development Coordinator. Awesome. Bill? I'm Dr. Bill Collins. I'm a dentist that practiced for 30 years in Pikeville, Kentucky. I'm now working at Redbird uh, Clinic. That's part of the Methodist Mission. 
Uh, I'm the dental director here. I've also been past president of the Kentucky Dental Association, and I now sit on the board of dentistry. Fantastic. Well, thank you and welcome to Apod Latcha. We're very happy to have you. So let's just dive right into a little bit of myth dispelling. That's something that I think we want to talk about um, a lot on this on this particular interview. Can you uh, maybe uh, Dr. Bill, you might be able to tackle this one first. Can you tell us a little bit about the stereotype of Mountain Dew mouth um, and and what that has how that's permeated in the mountains? So it's really not a myth it's, it's true but it's only true when you have people consuming this 24 7 okay and it's not just in the mountains let me clarify that it's anywhere mountain dew is sold uh it's a it's a very addictive drug just like coffee is it contains like 200 milligrams of caffeine so once you get started on it uh you can't quit without getting headaches and things like that. The other thing about Mountain Dew that is so bad is the sugar content. So with sugar content and caffeine content, uh, it addicts people and the sugar, when they drink and sip it for long periods of time, the, the acid in it is equivalent to, well, let's say a car battery. So it's, it's almost like sulfuric acid and it just eats the enamel off the teeth. So the sugar also gives the bacteria in the mouth the energy it needs to work, and that's what produces the tooth decay. So it's, in, in essence, it's not really a myth, it's true, that's what Mountain Dew does, uh, but it doesn't do that to people that take care of their teeth and don't drink them all day long. You know, if you drink them with meals and things like that, you don't see this. Yeah, I, um, I I feel like we the the Appalachian region is so intrinsically tied to um, the phrase Mountain Dew mouth. Um, what are some of the other significant contributing factors to dental problems in Appalachia? Uh, Dr. Pepper is also a big problem. Um, poor oral hygiene is a big problem. Well, drugs. Um, you know, illegal drugs or prescription drugs. Uh, if we do take painkillers or well, antidepressants, it causes dry mouth. And so uh, that's a problem that we have here. And we're, you know, everyone knows the problem with drugs we have in the area. So it's not, it's not just Eastern Kentucky, it's West Virginia, Virginia, Ohio, all the surrounding area. So those are big contributors to it and that's why they drink the, the citric acid soft drinks is because the lemon stimulates salivary flow and so when you've got all this going on you, you've got poor origin and once you've got you know the parents are on, on drugs or something of like that nature you've got children that don't take care of their mouth and it just uh, expands the problem I think the problem is access to dental care because I, I mean I know that from what I've read just anecdotally a lot of times in Appalachia it's hard to find a dentist and and even if you can find one it's hard to afford to go to one. I'll, I'll disagree with you. Okay, uh, what I will say that I agree with 
the means for insurance and people that takes Medicaid, there's not many dentists that do that. Okay. So the Medicaid rates are very low and most dentists elect not to take them. So the people that's on Medicaid, which is quite a large amount since the coal industry has went down, uh, they they don't have the means to go to the dentist uh, that others would. Uh, yes, it is expensive, especially since COVID is, is skyrocketed. But our governor, the governor of Kentucky, has expanded Medicaid. He saw the need, and as of January one of this year, the adults will be getting almost any type of dental care they need. The problem is, is getting the dentist to accept the Medicaid. And they're hoping by increasing the fees, which they just did on certain procedures, that that will entice more dentists to take Medicaid. Um, there's also a new school opening in Pikeville, a new dental school. And that's hoping to address the access to care problem also. So you'll have three dental schools in the state. And the problem is, uh, not the access to dentist as much as it is the transportation. As you all know, it's very difficult for people to move around in the mountains. Uh, they have to hire cabs and taxis and things of that nature. And sometimes we don't have the type of dentist they need in that area and they have to go to Lexington or Louisville or someplace of that nature. And it's very hard to get transportation from uh, Hazard to Lexington. So they, we gotta, you got to give them three or four days notice. So that's the big problem. One thing we have done, uh, one thing we have done with our oral health coalitions, we have formed an access to care uh, sub uh, subcommittee. Dr. Collins and uh, Dr. Stein kind of lead that to look at policies and gaps and other things that we see as an issue that we can. Uh, maybe help address and come up with solutions and ideas to be able to fix and create new ways to make that work for them better. Yeah, Randy, let's jump to you. What exactly is Healthy Mouth, Healthy You, the program that is put together by Volunteers of America? Um, what what is, what is the program? What does it do? We just want to really encourage, especially starting in the, in the youth and the schools and the young people, to take care of their teeth at a young age so that when they get as an adult, their, their teeth is a lot better. Like when you're talking about Mountain Dew as a kid, you know, I grew up here in Manchester and I, I drank a lot of Mountain Dew as a kid. My grandparents had a grocery store, so uh, Mountain Dew and peanuts, salted peanuts was the thing that I, I drank and ate a lot. And um, back then, you know, we, we didn't really think about those things, and we didn't get taught those things. So one thing we want to do is we want to teach the young people at a young age to start taking care of their teeth so that when they get older, they have good, healthy, strong teeth. And at the same time, sometimes if you can, you know, normally if we start with a parent, the parent can lead the child in the right direction. But in this sense, maybe if we can get the children going in the right direction, maybe they can get the parents in the right direction. And I agree 100% with Dr. Khan said, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, they're growing up in these homes that they're seeing mom, dad do this and that, and they're going to follow. So hopefully we can reverse that psychology, you know, and, and get these kids to maybe to do, uh, to be able to encourage parents to, to drink and eat healthy too. 
But uh, you know, we've we've formed a lot of different groups. We've got the Access to Care group, and we also have formed a Make and Drink Make and Drink and Water Cool. Um, we've gotten into the schools. Um, we have a young lady that's running and leaving our Youth Oral Health Coalition in Clay County School System. We also have just uh, got a new. Uh, I think she's a junior or senior at Redbird. She's going to be leaving. Uh, she's a senior actually. She's going to be leaving our oral health youth oral health program in Redbird School. So, and we're working with Onita Baptist Institute to get someone there. So, if we can just really build that healthy mouth, healthy you campaign through the youth and through adults and young people, uh, we think it'll make a big, big difference. What's, uh, what has been the reception so far that you found? Last year, we had a health and wellness day event. Um, we had about 350 people to come through and we, it was overall health, obviously. I mean, you know, we wanted to teach people and give them information and we had about 50 roughly 40 to 50 vendors there and numerous different kinds of vendors and all basically around health care and uh dr Collins was there we did some free uh, dental uh, cleanings for the youth um may have even did some for the adults i can't remember but uh we have seen it it's, it's taken it's taken off i mean uh we feel like we're making a, a difference and last year we had, like I said, about 350 plus. We've got one scheduled for April the 27th of this year. And I'll be honest with you, I'm looking to have 500 plus to roll through that day. And uh, we're really going to focus hard on the youth with the schools to maybe bust these kids to us because we want them to not only take care of their teeth. I know this is all about oral health, but we also want them to be overall health, you know, mental health, you know, just eating healthy and living, living the right life. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell me, I mean, I don't know how long you've been involved with the project, but what what led VOA to create this project and why now? I couldn't answer that question. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but I think you can answer this one. Um, what have been some of the best successes that you've seen? And this could go to you, Dr. Bill, or to you, Randy. You know, what are some of the, the best successes of the program so far? You want to start, Dr. Collins, and I'll kind of add to it. First, first of all, one of the things that led to this, I think, is when Jennifer came here, um, she came to Redbird, and I had been working on substance abuse patients for probably 10 years and it was very difficult to get funding to uh, to treat them because they were mostly adults and uh, they were destitute they had nothing they were down to hitting rock bottom and so I, I had been working with Karen Kelly from Hal Rogers office and uh, I've been working with Redbird and the Redbird board and we were riding grass trying to get money for it and so when Jennifer saw all the old health problems that they had when they come in and we were doing not just females we were doing males and children and all nine yards and uh that's when all this started kicking off and it really started excelling at that point um so that was a big thing the best things i i could tell you is we've had a lot of ladies that have uh came in and and looked really bad and when they left they looked like movie stars they were just absolutely beautiful young ladies they had let themselves get so bad with with uh, substance abuse and the mountain dew and dr peppers and whatever else it was they just had no no hygiene so once we got them back into shape 
Um, you wouldn't believe some of the pictures. These were really beautiful young ladies. So, um, and it always makes us feel good when we, we complete the case and the patient is so excited and they can't help but cry and they want to hurt everybody in the office. And, um, you know, it, this is just expanding. And this access to care committee that Randy and Jennifer put together, uh, they put me in charge of it. And what I did was I didn't just give people from southeastern Kentucky. Um, I got people from all over the state on this board. And we've now got the three deans from the dental school on this committee. We've got the state oral health director. We've got uh, our Lisa Lee, the commissioner of Medicaid. Uh, we've got also dentists that's involved with access uh, to care. And so this thing is really taken off. And and just from out here in Little Clay County, it's you know it's going to reach all the way across the state. And I'm going to go back and back up. You asked me the question a while ago, kind of why they started this program. My, I kind of went blank there, Kelly, on that for just a second. Obviously, you know, we want VOA Volunteers of America. We want everyone to be healthy. And um, when you see children, you know, and my wife is a school teacher, so I, I've seen this firsthand. If you take a child and they're in school and their teeth is bad, they're most likely not going to participate in front of the class. They're going to be they're going to be standoffish. They're not going to want to talk. They're not going to get in front of the class. Do the essays. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't really like to get up in front of the class either. But, you know, you'd have to get up and read an essay. So if you've got a small child that's got bad teeth, they're not going to want to participate. So it, they have, they lose that self-esteem. So by taking care of their teeth and, and, and getting their teeth healthy and clean and keeping them healthy, they're more likely. And I have an example of that. When my wife was teaching first grade, there was a small student, and we were doing a dental program back then that I was part of uh, through some committees, local committees. And she came home one day and she said, hey, she said, Randy, said, is there anything that this committee that you all have could do to help little this little fella in class and she said his teeth is awful she said you know i, I think it's impacting him not to participate so i you know made a couple phone calls to the committee that uh, i served on and we got this kid teeth checked we had him to sign the other parents signed off and got all the teeth fixed so a few months goes by and i asked her i said tracy i said how's the little yeah uh, little fellow doing now she said we have created a monster I said, what do you mean? She said, Randy, he won't hush. She said, he talks all the time. I said, think about something. I said, you're talking about a kid who never said anything. And now he has confidence. He's got some self-confidence. So, you know, when VOA is dealing with the ladies who are trying to get their life back straight, they're seeing these kids. And they're seeing mamas maybe that don't have, their teeth are bad. So if we can help. Fix, change that for these children, we've made a difference. And VOA, one thing about them, whatever they do, they want to do it right. And let's take, let's move it to the adult side. When an adult, whether they have a drug addiction or they don't, if they have bad teeth, if we're going out for an interview for a job, we have to present ourselves very professional. And if our teeth is bad, again, it gets in our mind, you know, we don't really want, we'll try to talk with our gums you know our lips hiding our gums i mean or our teeth what's they're black and they're bad and also you got the pain from all of it obviously but if we can get these ladies teeth fixed 
like Dr. Collins said, the one lady looked like a movie star. So when she walks in for this interview, she's walking in and she's confident. She's got some self-confidence. You know, my teeth look good. And she's going to be smiling. And obviously, I've interviewed a lot of people. And one thing is I look at it. I look at the appearance. I mean, I want to do they. Are they presenting themselves professionally? So are they confident? So, you know, obviously, I think that's one of the things, uh, Kelly, Kelly, is uh, we see that it gives them self-confidence from the child to the adult. Yeah. I, I, I think that's such an important point and one that, that probably doesn't get talked about enough. Like, there's obviously the, the health component, which is a humongous part of it. But having teeth that you're not proud of or that you're embarrassed about hinders other aspects of your life your mental and emotional well-being and and I'm, that's such a great story because for for a young kid those are such important formative years of their life and to be able to fully like engage in in, in social behavior is is a real blessing i'm sure it, you know and we see it so much i mean you know uh, kids i mean they they really have just like adults, we they have feelings. I mean, and if and sometimes just I'll just say it just straight up. Sometimes some kids and some adults we can be a little on the mean side, and then you know we can make fun. You know, maybe we make fun of a child that's got bad teeth, or maybe we make fun of a a young adult that's got bad teeth, which is wrong for us. So I mean, that also adds to that. You know, self confidence is a big thing, and especially and I know in Eastern Kentucky, and I'm sure it's probably that way everywhere. But it's great when you're a part of a group that you do see an impact, you do see a change, and we are seeing some impact, and we are seeing change. And, you know, I do want to say this. When we look at Eastern Kentucky a lot of times, you know, we think we may not have the best the best equipment or the best stuff. But I assure you, if you'll go to Redbird and you'll look at Dr. Collins' setup over there in operation, we have state-of-the-art there. And he's a state-of-the-art dentist. And um, I just think that we're we're blessed to have him and we're blessed to have VOA and the many partners that we do. And I know that we're making a difference and we're going to continue to do so. That's so that's so heartwarming. I mean, I, I love that self-confidence and, and fixing someone's teeth can change their life from from beginning to end. And I, I, I want to turn now um, to close us out on just a couple of questions about um, about dental health care you know if, p- if people are listening now let's just let's just go straight into a couple of tips um you know many people when they have bad teeth or if they haven't seen a dentist in several years are scared to go to dentists um dr bill can you tell folks who are listening why they should not be scared to come to the dentist to come see you wow it's hard to tell someone not to be afraid when they know it's going to be a needle in the mouth. And um, and normally when they wait so long, it's not a pleasant uh, visit when they come in because there's things we have to do. If they would keep this up all along, then we wouldn't have that problem. They, you know, they wouldn't have to have this really bad work done. Um, there's no way. There's no way to sugarcoat taking the tooth out, you know, and extractions and extraction. But our goal is to avoid these extractions, and so if we can get them to coming in on regular visits and changing some habits, uh, the dentist visit will will be a pleasant visit for them. And so that's that's why younger kids in the first and second grades uh, don't mind it so bad unless they're really 
have really bad oil hygiene. Uh, our UK was going out and doing uh, sealant varnish just on kids in that one or two counties, and they saw a big improvement just from the, the varnish, uh, the fluoride varnish, and putting sealants on it. So uh, to stop, to, probably the, the biggest thing is, is uh, our mothers and fathers and uh, we always look back and they hated the dentist and so we're going to hate the dentist and that's a mentality we need to get away from you know because mom and dad had dentures doesn't mean that you have to have dentures so um, the best thing i would do is say is take the kids young uh keep their appointments for every six months uh, and I, I'll agree with Chuck on one thing that, or as far as dentists uh, not being available. There has been no one coming back to Eastern Kentucky when they graduate. And that's been going on for several years. Uh, I, like I said, I practiced 32 years in Pikeville. When I started in Pikeville, there were 42 dentists. I was probably 17. The reason is there's no jobs. So when the population dwindles, and the, there's nothing but Medicaid there. The dentists don't, they can't make it on just Medicaid pay. Uh, for example, uh, an extraction for a tooth is $32, I think is what it is. That's, that's 1960 fees. So uh, the governor's hopefully going to do something about that. Hopefully we can get the parents to bring in the kids uh, early ages and we can get the parents to come in and see and watch and, and understand that these dental visits are not so horrible. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are a parent and maybe you weren't raised with good dental hygiene practices um, and, and routines, what are some key tips for parents with young children um, for early dental health practices at home? You know, taking them in every six months and, and making sure that their their teeth are clean, but are there any, is there anything that they should be doing at home with their children um, that you can think of? They should be checking their children to make sure they're brushing properly and uh, even when they're young, they should take a two or two gauze or a clean cloth and something and start going over their teeth. Uh, and I'm talking, you know, probably a year old. And at that point, they should see a dentist uh, when they're about a year old. As soon as they start, the teeth start erupting through. So once once they get there, they, if they go to a pediatric dentist, they will give them more hygiene instructions on how to care for these teeth and they'll involve the parent with it. So I would recommend they see a pediatric dentist at that age. Yeah, as early as one year. That's, that is a huge, that is a huge tip right there. Uh, I think most people don't even think about it until kids start going to school even. Um, so I think that that's a really good tip. Well, last question for Randy. Um, can community members help? What can they do if, if people feel passionately about this and, and want to jump in and, and to help this effort? What can they do? 
Well, you know, I think word of the mouth is the best marketing and best advertising you can get. I tell a lot of times, tell them here at the, in the job, I said, you know, we could spend a lot of money marketing and advertising. I said, but the best advertising is word of mouth. So just help us spread the word. You know, uh, come and help us pass flyers out when we have these uh, events and these health fairs and things. And come and just participate and talk. I mean, you know, a lot of times it's just every one of us has a different crowd. We have a different audience. So, and social media is huge. So if you have Facebook, and most people do, you know, get on Facebook, get on, share with social media things going on, taking care of the teeth. You know, that is a big way they can help. That's probably one of the biggest ways they can help. Awesome. And, and obviously, you know, if they want to get involved and they want to, you know, help donate, you know, there's all kinds of things we can buy, like supplies we can buy, uh, Toothpaste. We can buy toothbrushes. We can buy those things that get into the school. So if they want to, if they want to be part of that, that's another way. I mean, there's so many ways they can help. But you know, big thing is marketing and help us market and advertise through social media and through the word of mouth. Fantastic. Um, that's all on our end. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really enlightening conversation, a really important one. Um, and and I just, I appreciate your time so, so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you so much. All right, so last segment under the radar. This is um, this is kind of a shit show. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. It's a shit show Completely. at the state house. Yep. Plural. Multiple state houses. <laughs> yeah. Plural. Why don't we start with your home state of North Carolina? What's going on there? Shoot, doggy. Um, man, I first uh, shout out to Anderson Clayton for bringing um, this problem to us. Former guest of the show, friend of the show, now running to be the state party chair of the Democratic Party in North Carolina. Go show her love and support. We we are all in on on Anderson. Hell yeah. January 11th was the first day back in session for the General Assembly, the 23 to 24 session for the North Carolina House and and Senate. So already the North Carolina House Republicans passed rules allowing for the speaker to call for a vote on Cooper's veto without notice. (sighs) Yeah, just like it just right out the gate. Why? Um, Why? Why? Why would you do that? So what are you trying to hide? Right. So this means that the rights of North Carolinians hinge on the power of every single Democratic House member being able to make it to the General Assembly at a moment's notice to protect Cooper's veto of bills banning abortion, divesting in education and other GOP pursuits because the GOP is so close to a supermajority. Um it, it's absolutely wild that, that we have to expect literally every Democratic member to be there for every single vote. Otherwise, we're fucked. It's also kneecapping the governor's powers, which, like, I mean, I, like, they... Yeah, North Carolina, that's a North Carolina classic. Yeah, they've been doing it for since Roy Cooper was elected, even before he even took office. Yeah. They were, <laughs> they were neutering the Supreme Court, or they were bolstering the Supreme Court so they could neuter the governor. And, you know, I mean, this is... This is dishonest governing, and 
what does it say? It says that they want to pass an extremist agenda and be able to do so in a way that screws over the governor and and prevents him from being able to exercise his authority as a duly elected person in the state of North Carolina because all these Republicans are probably from gerrymandered districts and that's how they get away with this kind of thing. Uh, It's not what the... These are types of things where they know they're passing laws that are not what the people want. Yeah, absolutely. the majority of people anyway. So... The good news is that right now the Democrats do hold enough votes in the House to protect Cooper's veto. But like I said, they are they are one. The GOP is one vote shy of a supermajority. So with these new rules in place, the Democrats are afraid that Republicans will call surprise votes, which is something a tactic that they've used a lot um, to override Cooper if a couple of their members are absent. It's also just such a dick thing to do. It is. It's such a dick thing to do. And, and, you know, that means that nobody nobody can get sick. Um, Nobody can be on maternity leave. Nobody can, you know, have to be nobody can be on vacation. Like it is the pressure on North Carolina House Democrats now is so intense. Yeah, it's super shitty. It really is. And I think this is, again, if you were governing in an honest way and passing legislation that the people cared about and wanted, Number one, you may not even have to worry about overriding a veto because the governor may support it. But again, that's, you know, looking at politics from rose covered glasses. But at the very least, you know, you would be governing in a way that the people supported. And uh, this is uh, clearly they're they're planning to ram things through no matter what, because they want to have the ultimate power in the state. And it's just really gross to watch it happen before our eyes and not be able to do anything about it. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Let's move to Kentucky, where it's bad, too. Yeah, surprise, surprise, Kentucky. Uh, You want to take this one, and I'll take West Virginia? Sure, absolutely. So you might recall, so in in late July, early August of last year, there was a devastating flood in eastern Kentucky. Um, FEMA is literally still on the ground. There are still people living in tents. It is still a disaster zone um, because of the lack of federal and state help. Um, it's it's not great. It's it, things are not going super well. So last year, um, they did the General Assembly did not pass or prioritize any funding for housing for those displaced by the flood at all. Um, instead, they promised that it would be a priority for them in the next session, which is now. First thing they said, it's the first thing that we're going to do. We're going to knock it right out. Don't worry, guys. We've got you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wait, did they do it? I'm so happy that they did it. (laughs) They must have done it. Politicians don't break promises, Callie. I I hate to break your heart, Chuck, but the General Assembly came into session last week, same day as the North Carolina General Assembly, and no bill, over 100 bills have been introduced, but no bills have been introduced on recovery housing at all. They duped us again, all those tricky dicks. Yet again. So there are calls right now from multiple organizations across the state saying, um, excuse me, hello, you said that you were going to deal with this. There are people living in tents through the winter. You know, what What are you going to do? Um, I know that the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky held a listening session for those who were impacted by those floods. And people 
there was there was a couple um, that I know of, uh, and I, it's it's fine to share the story as long as I don't you know get, I don't want to give away any personal details. But they started walking at eight a.m. to get to the one p.m. listening session. Jesus! And they started walking at eight a.m. to get there, and they asked for a ride back. And when they when they got the ride back, it was literally to a tent. Um, so this is not, this is not fake news. This is not hyperbole. There are people who are still desperately in need of assistance and of recovery aid. And as always, rural recovery zones and disaster zones are always last on the list of priorities. I mean, look at so many hurricanes that happen in places like Florida or the Gulf Coast that receive FEMA funding immediately, um, that, that have people on the ground the next day. It was weeks until Kentucky saw FEMA um, and they were organizing themselves already by then. So Kentucky, um, let's just keep let's keep going because this is something that's desperately needed. And screw the state house for not prioritizing. And hold these it. people accountable. Like if you live in Kentucky, blow up their fucking phones, man. Make them have to deal with you. And I know yeah. that a lot of you are. I, this is not a lecture session, I promise. I know that a lot of you are, but <laughs> if you aren't, do it. Because these people, they get by on this because they can get by on this. And th- it's yeah. just so egregious. It's gross. This is just yeah. politics at its worst. Or maybe not, because in West Virginia... Because <laughs> West Virginia... <laughs> it may actually be at its worst. You know, I, there's everything's wrong in the state of West Virginia... Not yeah. according to Jim Justice, who painted a great rosy picture. Rosy picture at his state yeah. of the state right before he leaked to media, leaked air quotes that he was thinking about running against Joe Manchin next year. I think the Senate might need me. I'm sorry, it's the best I can do. It's a really good one. I don't know why you apologize. It sounds just I'm, like <laughs> it's preemptive in case it sounds terrible. I it's so good again. Uh, I um. Weird that Baby Dog hasn't solved all of our problems. I'm shocked by this. So January 11th, first day of the West Virginia state legislative session, over 100 bills introduced on both sides of the House and Senate. Um, So you think, you know, government, right? Legislature, the legislative process, you know, deliberative process, going through amendments, going through the, the public comment section all this stuff fuck no hell that shit's boring you know what they did they suspended the state constitution and passed uh, like all the major bills regarding emergency powers the department of health and human resources and other significant issues with no committees no public comment nothing rammed it through i, I can't remember who it was i think it was maybe craig blair when asked uh, why you did this their response was all oh, you know when when we go to work we 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 like to work hard we, we do our best. We work hard. We aren't lazy or something like that. And to, that's like saying you're going to work as a firefighter and you get in your truck without any gear and you plow through the garage door without opening it, drive to the wrong house and blast people with water and then said, hey, man, we just work all in a day's work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Shit and all, Craig, Craig Blair. I mean, he is painting. I think along it was him. Justice. I can't remember. I think it was him. Oh, it had to have been him. Um, so he is painting a rosy picture, also of like, oh, we're here to work on 
kitchen table issues and taxes. <laughs> I love and those kitchen all table of this issues. Stuff. Right. And, and here we have bills introduced that are anti-trans, that are book banning bills. I mean, all of this shit is on the table. And while the anti-trans bill and the, the book banning bill were not in that first round, who's to say that they won't be in the next round because now we as citizens of West Virginia are not protected by our constitution anymore because they suspended it. So like wh- that to me is like, they're literally just like, okay, well the people have no right to comment and there's no committees and there's no discussion and the people of West Virginia just don't count anymore and they don't have rights. Yeah. I mean, it's first time I've ever heard of, of things like book bans and stuff being kitchen table issues. Uh, yeah. I cer- Who knew? I certainly didn't talk about it on my kitchen table. My parents were like, fuck, bills. How do we pay for them? Insurance. <laughs> yeah. It's expensive. Food. It's expensive. Right. And, and where the fuck are all the right doctors now? and dentists? Right. So, okay. This is, this is like not in what we're talking about, but this is an issue that the legislature is going to have to deal with because the, the insurance for state employees of West Virginia, the Wheeling Hospital recently put out a press release saying that they were going to stop accepting it because the insurance for this, for the state employees of West Virginia was not paying enough. They were paying like half of what Medicaid is paying. Yeah. And so they're like, we're not going to accept people who are on the literal state insurance and so that's like that's if if hospitals around the state start doing that that's like 40 percent of the people who live in the state it's 200 will not have insurance well it's 200 there's 200,000 public employees in west virginia but you probably could safely at least double that number because a lot of those people their spouses and their kids are on that insurance Me. yeah danny and i are on that insurance my, i think my mom and dad still have some form of peia even though she's retired yeah so why are they not dealing with that i don't know i'm just i'm i'm very i'm heated about that as well Well, as you know um they got that's not a kitchen table issue that's um <laughs> that's kind of like a family room issue uh, the kitchen table issues are transgender kids, their critical right. race theory, and uh, and it's it's um it's books about Greta Thunberg. Those oh, are yeah, the absolutely. that's what the constituents are beating the fucking doors down about right now. Not PEIA not having any money and people not literally being able to use state insurance. No, it's uh, it's Greta Thunberg. That's what it is. Who knew? Who knew that little Swedish son of a bitch or wherever the hell she's from? <laughs> oh man! Well, everything's a mess. Everything is a mess, but um, we're here to help navigate that mess with you. Yep. Call your legislators. Raise hell. We'll be there to help you. Yep. And it needs to happen. And um, and we'll be back next week. And, and when I say that, I mean it. We're not going to. That we are a kitchen table issue podcast. That's right. Mm. So get your forks and knives ready. <laughs> <laughs>